0: be in Genesis uh, 4 and uh, actually be looking at Genesis 4, Genesis uh, 5 both, uh, the end of Genesis 4 and moving on into Genesis 5 this evening. And uh, we'll we'll probably be looking at this passage of Scripture for uh, a few lessons, Um, but we're going to get started tonight and we're going to be looking at the world as it existed before the flood, the pre-flood world. What was, what was the world like leading up to the flood? What was going on in the world? What situations were in place? What circumstances were in place that led to the judgment of the flood. And so we'll probably, as I said, look at several lessons from this passage of Scripture. As we look at this, uh, the Bible tells us Jesus Christ himself said that the second coming would be as it were in the days of Noah. So I believe it does us good in our day to understand What was it like in the days of Noah? And so chapter number 4 through chapter number 6 gives us an excellent picture of what the world was like as it was in the days of Noah. And so we want to take a little bit of time and look at that. But for tonight we're going to be focusing on the development and the expansion of the human race and some important elements uh, that I believe are very helpful in helping us understand how things progressed leading up to the flood Uh, because a lot of times uh, whenever you read the Word of God from Genesis chapter number 1 to the flood and there in Genesis 7 covers a span of about 1,500 years but it only covers uh, roughly 140 verses. So there is a lot of information compacted into a very small passage of Scripture and so it's very easy to miss whenever you read through Genesis to miss the developments that took place that led to the flood. But the Bible actually gives us a lot of details that lets us know what took place that brings us to the flood. There are several factors, I believe, as we look at this that will help us get a better grasp on what society was like as the world headed towards the judgment whenever we think about the fact that the flood took place approximately 1500 years after creation it helps us establish several things in our mind that we may not think of right off uh such as adam would have passed away roughly 70 years before noah was born and so that that, that adam lived 930 years and and um If you look at Noah's age, Adam would have passed away about 70 years before Noah was born, meaning that Adam could have very easily been capable of recording everything that happened up until the birth of Noah. Um, And now, once again, I've mentioned this several times, we need to be careful that we don't let evolutionary thinking uh, confuse us in regards to the Word of God because folks may say, well, yeah, but did Adam know how to read and write? Man hadn't developed that far yet. That's evolutionary thinking. Adam was probably the most intelligent human that was ever created. When God created him, he created a perfect human, fully developed completely understanding everything uh, with a complete grasp on language and communication and understanding. And even if he wasn't created knowing how to read and write, he had 900 years to figure it out. So I'm pretty sure that uh, Adam uh, normally, you know, we can figure it out by the time we're five or six, you know. So I believe Adam would have had time to figure that out. But I really believe Adam had a complete grasp on language and communication and uh, it's very probable that Adam recorded much of what we find in the book of Genesis up until the time of Noah. Um, Many people believe that Moses, uh, of course Moses is uh, recognized as the author of Genesis, but many people believe that Moses uh, during the time of the wilderness wondering is when they believe he wrote this and a lot of his work, they believe, is that he compiled manuscripts that had been passed down and preserved, and Moses took those manuscripts and compiled them together, edited them, so to speak, put them together, and then gave us the book of uh, Genesis. And so it's very probable that Adam, living up until the time of Noah, could have recorded much that took place up until that time. Also, whenever we look at this of Adam living... uh, right up until the time of Noah's birth, it gives us a, an understanding of generational overlap. Uh, in our day, uh, you have parents, grandparents, and, and fairly often great-grandparents, but we rarely go beyond that. That seems to be the extent of generational overlap. But in pre-flood days, it was not uncommon to have up to eight or nine generations overlapping. And so... Uh, people lived a lot longer. They would see their great-great-great-great-grandchildren and would be able to have influence on them. Uh, Family patriarchs were something that was honored and revered. So Adam would have had influence. Uh, Eight generations later, Adam would have still been influencing people. and, And then his son came would have been influencing people. And Seth would have been influencing people for generations and generations and generations. And so it helps us to understand in our day, four or five generations back, we're lucky if we even know their name, that these guys were still in the family, still influencing, still sharing. And so it gives us an idea of how this could be passed along. Also, it's very likely that the earth was fully populated at the time of the flood. Now there are some who say, you know, uh, there couldn't have been many people on the earth, probably just a very small area was populated, but I believe it is very likely that the earth was fully populated at the time of the flood. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, last week we, I gave you an equation that showed that if the population doubled every hundred years, at, in 25 years there would be 30 million people on the earth. A much more accurate equation if you take into consideration the circumstances at the time, you take into consideration that they lived eight and 900 years, everybody lived that long. you take into consideration the uh, state of the environment and the, the health of the earth at that time, a, a much more accurate equation would be that the um, growth that the population would grow at a rate of two percent per year. That would be a pretty accurate equation just given the circumstances. And if the population grew at 2% per year, starting with two people, the population could have easily been in the trillions in 1,500 years. Uh, So whenever we get in our mind this idea that there was just this one little area was populated, a few thousand people when the flood came, I don't believe that's accurate at all. The earth was very likely very populated at the time of the flood. We know that at the time of the flood, the entire world, all of the people had degenerated to the point that God sent the judgment of the flood. And as I said a moment ago, whenever we consider that Jesus said that the last days will be as the days of Noah, I believe it reveals the importance of understanding this time in our history. Now, Because the amount of text that we'll be referring to this evening, I'm not going to take time to read the text before we start and we'll just read portions of it as we go through the lesson. So let's just pray and we'll dive into the lesson. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you, dear Lord, for the study of your word. I thank you, dear Lord, that we can look into your word. And Father, if we take the time, uh, Lord, to uh, digest what is written in your word, I thank you, dear Lord, that it is full of answers to questions that many people ask regarding life, Uh, regarding you regarding eternity and Father I pray that you will just help us as we look into this lesson this evening. I pray dear Lord that it will be informative but Lord I pray that it will also challenge us uh, Lord as Christians uh, Lord to live the life that we ought to live. I pray dear Lord that you'll be with the children's programs downstairs be with CG3 and Aiden as he's teaching them. I pray you be with the teen group and Pastor Kent as he is teaching them. I pray dear Lord that you will work uh, in those ministries and Lord I pray that you allow us to plant seeds in the heart of these young people. Uh, Lord that they may may grow up uh, to be young people that want to live for you and serve you. Bless now as we look into your word, and Father, will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that I want to draw your attention to as we start into this study, and this is very, very vitally important. In a few weeks, we will be getting to Genesis chapter number 6, and there are some very controversial scripture at the beginning of Genesis chapter number 6. And what I'm getting ready to tell you tonight Grasp it, because when we get to Genesis 6, it will really help you to understand what is going on there. And So the first thing that I want to draw your attention to is that here in Genesis 4 and in Genesis 5, the Bible clearly defines two distinct lines of people, two distinct different lines of people. Now, as we stated last week, it would be impossible uh, to record all the details of every person who ever lived. So therefore, the Bible only records the details of people who are important in telling the story of redemption. Uh, So we don't have the details of every person, but we are given the details of those that help us understand. The Bible is written to tell us the story that a Savior came to deliver us from the power of sin. That's the story of the Bible. And so what is recorded Every bit of it will point us to the cross. Every bit of it will point us to redemption. And so we're started here in Genesis, and we are shown two distinct lines of people. We are shown a line of rebellious people, and we are shown the remnant. Throughout the Word of God, we find a teaching that God says there will always be a remnant. No matter how wicked the world becomes, no matter how depraved the world becomes, there will always be a remnant, there will always be a line of people who believe and follow God. They, there will never come a time that all Christians are annihilated. Elijah thought that he was the man that was living in that time and God said, no, no, Elijah, I got a whole bunch of them that you don't even know about. You're not the last one. There's always a remnant. There's always a group of people that are following God. And here in these chapters, uh, we, as we head towards the flood, we are seeing the degeneration of mankind. Mankind is degenerating. Mankind is going away. But we also see as we look at this that there is the rebellious line, but we also find the remnant that is being faithful to God. Uh, As we look at this pre-flood world, we see that there is a godly line, there is an ungodly line. As we follow these lines heading up towards Noah, we will see the ungodly line grow, and we will see the godly line dwindle. But then we will come to Noah and find that even in the day of judgment there is still a remnant, uh, that is left. Uh, so here in Genesis four and five, we see the record of two, these two lines of descent. In verse in chapter four, verse sixteen to twenty-four, we see the ungodly line of Cain. And we're going to read here, starting in verse number sixteen of chapter number four, and just read here uh, the genealogy of this ungodly line of Cain. It says, "And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden." And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he built the city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahujael, and begat Methusel, and Methusiel begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. And Adah bare be- Jabal, and he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father... Of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a young man to my wounding and a young man, or I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. So here we see the ungodly line of Cain described. But then if we start in verse number 25 of chapter 4 and read down through verse 27 of chapter number 5 we see the godly line of Seth. It says in verse number 25 and Adam knew his wife again as she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And to Seth To him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And then we start into chapter number five, and we begin reading of the generations of Adam and the godly line of Seth and that goes all the way down through verse number 27, and it's a lot of names, and so I will not make you listen to me reading all that, but it describes the godly line of Seth. And there's some distinct differences uh, that we note concerning these two ancestral lines. Uh, but first I want us to look at the profiles uh, of two men, uh, one recorded in each, um, each uh, genealogy here that gives us a glimpse to the development of of these genealogies and I refer to these as the seventh generation examples so in both lines from uh, the line of Seth and the line of Cain the seventh from Adam in both lines God gives us a little more of a portrait of that person he gives us a seventh generation example and when we look at that example it gives us a portrait of of the direction that these lines are going, the the development of these lines, what is happening in these lines. Um, God records details, uh, as I said, of both a descendant of Cain and a descendant of Seth. The seventh from Adam in the line of Cain is Lamech. Now, I do want to point out to you here that this is not to be confused with Lamech, who was the father of Noah. Uh, the two guys with the same name, but they're definitely not the same guy. This is Lamech. He is in the line of Cain. Uh, and Lamech's life was marked by his rejection of God. So the seventh generation example that we have in the line of Cain is Lamech. And Lamech was a, a man who was known by the fact that he rejected God. In Genesis 4, verse number 19, it says, And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Adah and the name of the other Zillah. In verse 23, And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. In verse 24, it says, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. In these verses, we get a glimpse of Lamech, who he was. Uh, We see that Lamech, was the first to step outside of God's establishment of marriage between one man and one woman. When God created Adam and Eve, He established the, the Marital law, he established it as being designed to be between one man and one woman. Those who try to take Scripture and argue that God is okay with polygamy have never read the beginning because God established marriage always to be between one man and one woman. But Lamech is the first who stepped outside of the bounds that God had set on the marriage relationship. And so we see, uh, we're starting to look at the seventh from Adam in the line of Cain He was a man who stepped outside of the law of God. We see that Lamech was the second person in the Word of God who was recorded to be a murderer. Uh, This is actually the second human death that we have recorded in the Word of God. Whether or not it is the second death that occurred, we have no way of knowing. Because of long lifespans, I guess it's possible. It does seem to me that somebody else might have died by now, but anyway, is the second death we have recorded, and it is again a murder. Lamech's great-great-grandfather was a murderer, Cain, and now we see Lamech also is a murderer. Also we see uh, that uh, Lamech demonstrated an attitude of defiance towards God. He said in verse number 24, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. If God protected Cain, he will protect me even more. He had an attitude of defiance towards God. So we see in the glimpse of the seventh from Adam in the line of Cain, We see that this is a generation, a line of people who are going away from God. Then we look at the seventh from Adam in the line of Seth and we get a glimpse of where this line's going. How is the line of Seth doing? And the person that we see that is the seventh from Adam uh, in the line of Seth is Enoch. Enoch is uh, the descendant of Seth. He is the seventh from Adam in the line of Seth. And we find that Enoch is described in the word of God as being a man who walked with God. So you see these two distinct lines are forming. We have an ungodly line of Cain, seven generations in, they are walking away from God. We have the godly line of Seth, seven generations in, and we have a man who is described as being a man who walked with God. We see in Genesis 5, uh, verses 22 down through verse number 24, we find this uh, biography, if you want to call it that, of Enoch. It says, And Enoch walked with God after he be- begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now, I am hoping uh, to look in depth at Enoch in another lesson uh, because, boy, I'm telling you what, there's a lot here about Enoch and who he was and and all that took place with him uh, walking with God and being taken without death, and so we'll hopefully look into that more in depth. But when we look at Enoch, we see that Enoch was a man in this genealogy, in this descendant from Adam. Enoch was a man who walked with God. These two men, I believe, give us a bird's eye view, so to speak, of the spiritual direction of these two groups of people. One, like their father Cain, had left the practice of following God. The other had continued to be faithful in following God. I believe understanding the distinction between these two groups is vital as we move toward the flood and understand why the flood came. We understand that they are these two groups of people. In chapter number 4, we see that Cain's line is marked by three things. Cain's line is marked by three things. The first thing I see is that Cain's line is marked by an abandonment of God's law. The line of Cain, the ungodly line of Cain, is marked by a people who abandon the law of God. When we look at Cain, as we looked at Cain a few weeks ago, we've seen that Cain abandoned the law of God in bringing an offering of fruits and vegetables and presenting them to the Lord. Uh, Cain said here, I want to do something different than what God requires. Uh, We've seen that Cain... Refused to repent. We've seen that God gave him space to repent. Cain refused to repent. Uh, uh, He refused to bring an acceptable offering. He rebelled against the law of God and he reaped the consequences thereof. But now we we come on down the line and we see Lamech uh, stepping outside of God's design for marriage. We see uh, Lamech being a man who walked away from what God had established. So we see that the line of Cain is marked by abandoning God's law. We also see that this ungodly line of Cain is marked by arrogance in man's conduct. Whenever the Lord offered Cain an opportunity to repent, we find that Cain responded arrogantly. He did not respond Humbly, he didn't humble himself before the Lord, uh, but instead he set out to build an empire. He went to the land of Nod. He built a city. He named it after his son. Uh, He he rebelled against God. He was arrogant in who he was. And we see uh, the same thing. In Lamech, the two men that we have a portrait of their life, we see the same thing in Lamech. Uh, Lamech is boasting of his invincibility. God can't touch me. Even though I've killed someone, God can't touch me. He was arrogant in his attitude. This ungodly line of Cain was marked by the fact that they abandoned God's law. They were marked in that they were arrogant. But then thirdly, we see that this ungodly line was marked by advancement in earthly skills. They were marked by an advancement in earthly skills. Now, There is no wickedness in physical advancement. There is no wicked in developing uh, skills that are useful on this earth. So I'm not at all saying that that is bad. Matter of fact, I believe that these three men, uh, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain, were given these skills and talents from the Lord. I believe that God gave them these skills and abilities. But what I find interesting is that the ungodly pre-flood line of Cain was marked by their earthly advancements. Earthly success is not sinful but neither is earthly success redemptive. Earthly success is not wrong in and of itself, but earthly success will not secure eternity. We have the story of the rich man who said, This will I do. I will tear down my barns and build greater, and I will say to my soul, Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. There is nothing wrong with earthly success, but if earthly success is all you have to show, then you have missed the reason that God gave you time on this earth. God gave us time on this earth to make sure that we were set and ready for eternity. And if instead of making sure we were ready for eternity, we focused on earthly advancement and earthly success, at the time of our death, the only thing that can be said for us is that they were successful in an earthly realm. It's a very good chance that they will not be a pleasant eternity. It always saddens me whenever I read an obituary And the obituary talks about all their earthly successes, but there's no mention of God anywhere in the obituary. All they have to show is earthly advancements. And when we see here, we look at the line of Cain. uh, They abandoned God's law. They were arrogant. And their focus was advancing in earthly skills. Whenever I look at that, I think, you know, it sounds a lot like our world today. We see a world that's abandoned God's law. We see a world that is arrogant and self-centered and we see a world that is focused on earthly skills and that's, what that, that's all they're focused on. And so we see that is the truth of Cain's line as well. In chapter number 5, we see that the godly line of Seth also has three markers three defining markers we see that Cain's line had three markers abandoned god's law arrogance and advancing in earthly skills Seth's line is marked by three things as well first thing we see is in Genesis chapter number 4 we see that Seth's line is marked by prayer Seth's line is a line that is marked by prayer in Genesis 426 it says unto Seth to him also there was born a son and he called his name Enos then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now i just say something funny here for you to laugh about. I'm not sure if this verse is saying that Enos was the godly man who began to pray Or if it's saying that Enos was a very difficult child and Seth began to pray. I'm not sure, but something about Enos is coming into the world makes people start praying. But uh, anyway, uh, just funny there. But to Seth there was born a son and he called his name Enos and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. The line of Seth was a line of men that was marked by prayer. Now, I'm sure that these men had earthly abilities. I'm sure that these men were farmers. I'm sure they were shepherds. I'm sure that they had skills, just like the line of Cain. But that's not what defined them. And that is what makes the difference between Christians and the people of the world. Uh, We have trades. We have things that we do. We have things that we're good at. But that's not what defines us. What defines us is our relationship with God. And that is the difference. And here's the difference that we see in the line of Cain and the line of Seth. The line of Seth was a line that was marked by prayer. But not only were they marked by prayer, but we find that the line of Seth was also marked by prophecy. These were praying people. These were prophesying people. In Jude 1 and verse number 14, uh, Jude is speaking of Enoch and he says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. And so we see here that Jude referred to Enoch as a prophet of God. As a matter of fact, when we look into the Scriptures, and and I'm hoping to look deeper at this also at another lesson, but when we look into the Scriptures here, we find that Enoch was a prophet. Uh, We find that Methuselah, Prophesied, we find that Lamech, the father of Noah, prophesied, and we find that Noah was a prophet. This godly line of Seth uh, was a line of people who were known by their praying, and they were known by their preaching. This is this is what identified them. This is who they were. Uh, the line of Cain was recognized by the fact that they disobeyed God's law. They were arrogant and focused on earthly success. The line of Seth was recognized in that they prayed and they preached. I'm telling you, there's a difference in these two lines of people. But then thirdly, I see that the godly line of Seth was marked by the patience of God. The patience of God. Whenever God came to Abraham, and he said to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham knew that Lot was there in Sodom. And so in an effort to protect Lot, Abraham began to bargain with the Lord and would you spare the city for 50, for 40? Abraham goes all the way down until he says, will you spare the city for 10? The Lord said, for 10 people, I will spare the city. Of course, we know that there weren't 10 people there and because of that, God destroyed the city. But the lesson that is to be learned is that God's people are a protection to the young godly. Godly people provide salt and light that withholds the judgment of God. It's why we need to be diligent being salt and light because we are able to withhold or hold off the judgment of God. We see that the godly line of Seth was marked by the patience of God. Many Bible scholars say that the name Methuselah uh, means when he dies, then judgment. Many people say that's the the meaning of Methuselah's name. Uh, Many people speculate, this is not in the Bible, but many people speculate that it may have been a prophecy of Enoch in naming Methuselah when he dies, then judgment. And, of course, we see that in other prophets, that God would have prophets name their children with a name uh, that referred to a prophecy. So it's not far out to think that that may be what happened, uh, but Methuselah's name means when he dies, judgment. And many think that this was a prophecy of Enoch saying judgment is coming, God is sending judgment You've turned away from God. You've turned your back on God. God is sending judgment. When this boy dies, judgment is coming. And then you look at Methuselah. And Methuselah is known as what? The oldest man that ever lived. If that don't speak of the patience and the mercy and the long suffering of God, I don't know what does. The prophecy said when he dies, judgment's coming. And for nearly a thousand years, God kept waiting and God kept waiting and God kept waiting and God kept waiting. He continued to show His mercy. For 969 years, man continued to deteriorate and go away from God. Man continued to go his own way and to leave God and God was extending mercy and extending mercy and extending mercy. But as man always does, man identified the mercy of God as God's indifference. Or they said God apparently doesn't exist because they didn't stop what they were doing. And I'm telling you what, we see this over and over and over. God will extend mercy to someone who is living a life of sin. Instead of sending judgment, He will extend mercy. And instead of seeing the mercy of God and repenting uh, in, uh, in appreciation of the mercy of God, they say, God don't care. No, God does care. And every breath that you draw while you're living in defiance of God, you are drawing that breath uh, on loan because God has every right in the world to snuff the life out of you any moment he chooses. And if you are living in defiance to God and you're not receiving judgment, you are receiving the mercy of God and understanding that ought to bring you to a place of repentance. But as we see here in the book of Genesis and as we see every day in our daily lives, people identify the mercy of God as them getting away with their sin. But we see that this godly line was marked by prayer. It was marked by prophecy or preaching and it was marked by the patience of God. Two distinct lines. The ungodly line of Cain and the godly line of Seth. Now to wrap this up, I want to draw your attention to just an interesting comparison. Just an interesting comparison and then give you what I think about it. If you look at chapter number 4, verses 16 to 24, you will see that in Cain's line only their births are recorded. Let me let me read to you a, uh, just a piece of it here. It says, um, and unto Enoch, this was the Enoch that was the son of Cain. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and unto Irad, and Irad beget Mahujael, Mahugiel, Mahugiel beget Methusiel, Methusiel beget Lamech. And then we begin to look at Lamech in detail. But we see that all that's mentioned here. It's their birth. That, that's all that's mentioned is the birth of the descendants of Cain. We come over to chapter number 5 and look at Seth's line and you will see that their birth, their life, and their death is recorded. I'll read to you just a little bit of it. It says, And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. All the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And we could continue going. You will notice that in each one of them we are told when they're born. Then after they are born we are told about their life, uh, how long they lived. Uh, and then we are told uh, how old they were when they died. Another interesting thing to note is that in I think pretty much all of them. There may be one or two that this is not true of, but it says that they lived twice. Now, this is just something neat, and, and it's just an observation, uh, but you'll notice it says, um, and Seth lived 105 years and beget Enos, and Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years, and pretty much all of them. The word lived will occur twice. Now, in Cain's line, it just tells us that they were born, and that's it. Seth's line, it tells us they were born. It tells us twice that they lived and then tells us when they died. What in the world does this mean? Well, there's probably a lot more to it than this country boy can figure out. But what I I see in this is a clear example that the life of the believer is precious in the sight of God. But those who live in rejection and defiance of God, their life is not worth remembering. We notate that they were born, but their life isn't worth remembering. But the child of God, not only does God notice when they were born, God recognizes their life, and God records when they die. They are recorded for eternity, every life an entire life that is precious to God. Whenever I look at this thing that it says twice that they lived, now, now this is just my country boy thinking, so y'all can just disregard this if you don't like it but Christians are born again. You ever think about that? We are born once, and then we're born again. And here we see the children of God, and it just seems interesting to me that God says twice that they lived. They lived, and they lived. And boy, I tell you what, I just see that in the line, in the godly line, God puts a lot more emphasis on their life than he does on the life of those that were ungodly. C.T. Tudd was a great missionary And he made a famous statement that I believe encompasses what we see right here very well. He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We see an ungodly line of Cain, and for the sake of genealogy, it was necessary to record their names, but that's all we need to know about them. But in the godly line of Seth, they were born, they lived, and they died. And their entire life was precious because they lived it for God. So hopefully uh, y'all have enjoyed that study, looking at these two distinct lines. And as I said, there's quite a bit more we're going to come back and look at. I want to look a little more in detail at Lamech. I want to look a little more in detail uh, at Enos, or Enoch, excuse me, and uh, some things of their life. I want to look at these prophets, at their prophecies. and uh, There's a lot to look at. And then we're going to move on into chapter number six. And um, I will say, as I have been doing this study in Genesis, I've had more people come and ask me about chapter number six than anything else. And all the time I'm just telling them, just wait, just wait. We're going to get there. Just hold your horses. We'll get to chapter number six. And so a couple of them I had to give in and tell them what I thought. But I'm trying to hold on. We'll get there. Chapter number six is good though. And so we'll be getting there in a few weeks. I'm telling you what, there's a lot of good stuff in the Word of God. And if we take our time to understand it, you'll find there's a lot of lessons that can apply to our daily lives. I pray that's been a blessing to you this season.